This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show in partnership with the Compassionate Friends. I'm your host, Dr. Heidi Horsley, and I'm here with my mom and co-host, Dr. Gloria Horsley. Hi, Mom. Hi, Heidi. Well, we're going to be talking about children and grief today, and we know there's a lot of our audience who are going to be interested in thoughts on children dealing with grief and how to help family members where there's been a loss in the family. Yeah, I love this topic because, you know, as you know, we have so many parents out there that are wondering how to help their surviving children and uh, what to do, the do's and don'ts. So this should be a really great show that we can refer people to that aren't sure about those answers. And we are we are interviewing today an expert in this field. Um, her name is Dr. Mindy Cassell. Dr. Mindy Cassell is the co-founder and senior clinical and program advisor of the Children's Bereavement Center. She is a licensed psychologist and certified thanatologist. Dr. Cassell's professional career in the Miami community spans more than 30 years during which she has worked with individuals, families, and children in the areas of loss, trauma, rehabilitation, and life transition. Welcome to the show, Mindy. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be here. It's great to have you here today. So I guess we'd like to start out by asking you, how did you get into the field of grief and loss? Um, I think in terms of my career, I had studied attachment and loss for my dissertation. Mm-hmm. So I had a theoretical background. I worked for many years with uh, clients who were in, I was working in rehab in the hospital and had worked with clients who had been through major traumas and loss often accompanied that. Mm-hmm. And so my trauma work, my rehab work, and my my dissertation and, and the information that I received from, from doing work with attachment and loss kind of led me to that. In my own family, I had lost a brother when he was 30 years old. I was 33 at the time. Oh, wow. And so as a family, my parents, my sister and I and our extended family all went through that loss. Mm-hmm. And so, and my husband lost his parents when he was a young adult. So wow. I think, you know, having had losses in our family and dealing with loss in my work, at one point I, I was... Um, I had my children were growing up. I have four, and when they were starting to um, go off to college, I had a few off to college, a few still home. I had a little more leeway, and I wanted to work with kids and families again, um, mm-hmm. rather than just private practice. And so I, I said to a colleague and I got together, Dr. Carol Burns, who was down here and who was is down from Miami too, and and um, she doesn't live here anymore, but she had had been living here, and we had some conversations and said, well, let's start a group. And it was very interesting because we got our 501c3 for it to become a charity. We had we had one little group with eight kids from five families that had some of the most horrific losses you could imagine. And it was within a year, we had 100 people. Wow, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. That's so fabulous. it just exponentially and at that point we had to get serious about where we were going to hold this how we were going to fund it um, it couldn't be self-funded anymore and we started to think about you know how 
how do we grow this organization and serve this incredible need in the in the community? Mm-hmm. And we um, we tried. We actually went around and visited several programs around the country. Uh, saw what they were doing. We of course attended conferences like ADEC. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think NAGC was even around at the time. So ADEC, for those who don't know, the Association of Deaf Educators. Yeah. And. and so we attended conferences, met other people who were doing some of this work, visited their facilities, and we took what we thought was the best of those um, in those facilities uh, and create started creating what we thought would fit into our Miami community. And it turned out to be an ever-growing process, and we're still growing. We have we run 94 groups a month now. We're growing wow. our eighth site. And it's just been continuously over 1,500 people a year. That's amazing. It's just a, a and large s- and so there's so many there's so many questions I have because this is phenomenal what you're doing. And I guess one of the things I'm wondering, and this is a very broad question, I know we can't answer it completely, but how do you see children's grief differing from adults? Um, there are, there are many similarities, as you may know, and there are also differences because kids are developmentally different than adults. Mm-hmm. And I think people grieve developmentally. We see them changing. Their grief goes with them. Grief is not something you get over. You know, the whole notion of moving on doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are grieving or have grieved will tell you it changes. It changes and you integrate it into your life. It impacts who you are and how you grow and how you perceive the world. And for children, depending on their developmental age and what they're experiencing and how they are responded to during that time, the support they have, the information they're given, the opportunity they have to process their loss, um, who they process it with, all of that changes how their grief metamorphosizes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And in different at different times in their lives, the grief might things about aspects of the grief might come up again. I mean, I worked with nine eleven children for ten years that lost a firefighter father in the World Trade Center, and as you know, different things would triggers would create a lot of sense of loss. For like, for example, when the children got married and the dad wasn't there or when they graduated from high school, I mean, milestones in their lives where their fathers weren't there. Um, and I, yeah, those are pretty poignant, and, mm-hmm. and they come up throughout life, but they really come up daily. You're right. You know, I think in some ways um, when you have somebody who is so significant in your life and the loss of a parent is a significant trauma for any child, uh, you know, those the memories, the experiences, they, they go with you. And that person, we we like to say at the bereavement center, we talk about how the relationship continues even though the person isn't there physically. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, you're walking down the street and you smell a perfume that reminds me of your mom's perfume, or you, um, you know, you see a movie that you saw with your dad, or you play, you know, you're playing ball with your own child and it reminds me of your pa- of when you played with your parents. So it doesn't. It could be those triggers, like you're saying, big events in your life where they really feel like there's a hole and a missing piece because that person isn't there. But it's also the little things that come up. Yeah, I, you know, I know you're both bereaved siblings, both you and Heidi, and I wondered uh, if you guys would touch somewhat on being a bereaved sibling and, and, you know, what bereaved siblings need and how you see that. Well, um, I, I, don't know, I know for you, Heidi, um, you know, how loss of a sibling means somewhat 
some similarities to what I've gone through in terms of you lose a shared history, mm-hmm. you know, and things that you would, you know, you had experienced growing up together um, will come up many times in your life. And then as you get older, I know now I have elderly parents and that sibling isn't there to share those experiences with us. And, you know, whether it's the care of a parent or just experiencing, you know, life changes with that parent. Um, And I think also uh, in terms of my own children, I see so many similarities. You know, I I often think um, they're channeling my brother, you know, know, whether it's just the way they look in a picture, something they've said, a talent they have. It's very interesting, Um, you know, both in children and grandchildren. So it's. Uh, I think they're always with us. I can relate to everything you're saying, and and you know, I have I have children now also, and it's interesting to to they remind me so much of my brother, and also their relationship together. I have a boy and a girl. Reminds me, brings back great memories of my brother. And you know, when Scott died, I lost not only my brother, and he was 17 at the time, but I lost the future I th- I thought I was going to have. So there was a lot of loss in looking ahead. And like you said, Mindy, and I think it's really important. You know, it's that we lose so many little things every day. It's the little back and forth communication. I mean, we don't need big events as reminders. We have them in our heads constantly. And, you know, children do also. And it's interesting working with kids, I think. And I know that you can say more about this, but they're a little different than adults in that, you know, adults can really stay with grief for a very long time and talk about it. And you'll see kids moving back and forth between talking about it and then all of a sudden, playing basketball or taking a break. And sometimes I find that adults, they don't understand that. And they sometimes can judge it and say, I don't understand. You know, he was just talking about his dad and now he's out playing basketball. How can he do that? Right. And they're not being, you know, insensitive or it's not like they, they, kids have a kind of a, and I think it's very intrinsic when, when in, this goes from kids who are three years old to adolescents, as you're saying, they might go out and play basketball. Everybody needs a break. We as adults take breaks too, but maybe they don't seem as obvious. I know if you ever go to a wake or a shiva or something where people are gathering after a loss, you'll see they'll be, sometimes they'll be laughing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll be, you know, chatting. Sometimes they'll be talking about something else. We don't necessarily have to stay in in, uh, a sad place all the time. And that's really the color of grief. Grief, you know, waxes and wanes. It's kind of a roller coaster. We know there are no stages. Um, those stages could happen all, all day, every day. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And, and really what changes is the intensity over time. Um, and occasionally it can come back intensely, but, uh, really we see that with grief, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not something that we have to stay in a, a very sad place all the time to be grieving. And when people ask me, well, how do you know if this child is grieving? Mm-hmm. And I tell them because somebody died, <laughs> you know, they don't have to necessarily look like they're grieving, act like they're grieving sometimes. And I think it's just a natural defense. They could put it on the back shelf because they have other things they have to deal with. And often children are dealing with taking care of their parent. And we see kids go into a big caregiving mode often because they realize I have maybe if it's another parent who died or even if it's a sibling who died, these parents or this parent is in a very precarious position right now and I need them to take care of me and I'm going to take care of them so they can take care of me. And while that isn't maybe something that they could articulate, we see it happening all the time. Well, so that's, we, that's the biggest question that I get 
the number one question that I get from adults is, I'm concerned that my child isn't grieving because they're not talking about it. How can I get them to talk about it? Well, I think you talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if you're comfortable talking about it, everybody in a family generally, people are worried they're going to, you know, oh, she's having a good day or he's having a good day, whether it's a parent or a child, and they don't want to upset the cart. But I think if people allow themselves their feelings and feel and treat their feelings honestly, parents are often afraid of crying in front of their children or children, you know, afraid of crying in front of parents. And what I tell parents is, you know what, if you cry in front of your child, and that might be upsetting, you're right, that might upset them, you can say to them, you know what, I need to cry sometimes, and that makes me feel better. After mm. I cry, I feel better. I like and that. actually, if they're older and more sophisticated, you can tell them that we have, you know, we have a hormonal release when we cry, and it makes us feel better, and it, and it helps us, uh, you know, cope after and actually, and actually um, be able to function better. So... We, you know, we can talk to our kids and tell them it's okay to cry, it's okay, or to bring up things like, you know, and we talk about the elephant in the room, whether it's an occasion where, you know, whether it's a birthday, like you said, coming up, or an anniversary, or an event, or a big life event, and really talk about what are we going to do to address that dad is not here with us, or, mm-hmm. or our, you know, Susie isn't here with us. What are we going to do to address that and how are we going to acknowledge them and let them be a part of this event in our lives and actually bring those things into the conversation. So one of the things we talk about that the children and adults experience by being part of a group and part of the bereavement center, which I think is a, a really remarkable place, but even after you know being a part of it for 18 years, I'm still amazed at what happens in the group, is that they they get to address this, talk about it, and get a language of loss. Mm. And they get to say the word dead without being afraid it's going to make, make it happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get to talk to each other in a language that they both understand and just even develop an ongoing conversation about the loss. So what kind of things do you do, you do at the Bereavement Center? Because it sounds like it's in a phenomenal place for kids. Do they do like artwork and activities, or do they talk mainly, or... Well, that really depends on the group. We have some phenomenal people who are involved with us. Everybody's trained in our model, but we do have some facilitators who are art specialists and music specialists. So kids do everything from write songs about the person who died to, um, you know, sharing, to drawing pictures, to describe, you know, doing pictures of their feelings inside their body, what that might, what colors they may be all kinds of very creative and interesting things they do. And truthfully, the younger kids um, really into and up to middle school love to do activities. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't force them into any activity. We have uh, traditionally an opening circle and a closing circle in every group. But other than that, they can participate in the activity or they could sit one-on-one with a facilitator and play a game if they'd rather do that. What's the opening and closing uh, that you have, the ceremony? Well, usually it's just uh, uh, the opening circle will start. We may start with a minute of meditation just to kind of calm everybody and bring them into the same space. And I think it's nice to teach a breathing technique so that people who are grieving are often catching their breath and feeling overwhelmed and sometimes find it hard to breathe. So we do a minute of that or two minutes of that. 
And then the opening circle might just be, you could say your name, introduce yourself, and if you want, you can say who died. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, so people have an opportunity to identify that they're all here for that purpose. If they don't want to, they say, I pass, and they move along, and that's fine. And what we see is often as we go around the circle and we come full, and if some, a kid passes and we come around and after the circle's almost done, they might say, okay, I want to tell who died. So they become comfortable talking about it and retelling their story. And retelling your story, you know, if you look at what happens, it's extremely therapeutic. Um, you know, as you retell your story, you reframe your perception of it. And over time, that goes on and on and on in all the groups. Um, and closing may be um, anything from take you know what I found impactful tonight, or what I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna take with me to um, how I'm feeling, or what somebody said that kind of resonated with me. It could be any one of a number of things. And and the facilitators know how to kind of bring that about. And you know, Mindy, one of the things that I'm thinking when you're talking about this is that the approach with these kids is is a lot like we hear about the approach with adults. Tell your story. Take the opportunity to tell your story. So even in games and playing and sand play or whatever, mm-hmm. I would think that maybe it's giving these kids an opportunity to to right. tell their story and recreate it, which I think yes. is really interesting because I'm thinking if I'm listening to this show, one of the things that I might want to think about is that I don't, the kids don't have to talk. They can maybe tell their story through sand play or kids at home through reading books uh, and talk about books and things. They have a chance to tell their story. Right. And the youngest kids will often have, like, we'll maybe read a story to them that, that we think is a good story to tell. Um, kids, listen, kids could talk about their loss while they're playing games like shoots and ladders, the ups and downs in life. It doesn't mm, like have to be very metaphorical. It doesn't have to be, a, you know, we don't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. While we may bring an activity, we really don't have an agenda. If the agenda is brought by each person, and we kind of go with the flow of what's happening for those kids and family members. And the adult, it's a, what we see often is because we have a an hour supervision session after each group for the facilitators that participate. And that in that time, we often hear about what's going on. You know, we they learn from each other as well as they learn from their own experience in group. But what's also so interesting is the parallel processing, what parents might look at and how they look at it, or the adults in the kids' lives and how the kids look at it. And they can bring up the same issues, and they come from different perspectives. So that's a fascinating thing to see as that's well. A, that's an interesting point because one of the things that um, we recommend to people that they might say uh, if they're having some issues around, well, sometimes people get caught up in whose grief is worse or whatever. But one of the things you can say to your kids is uh, if they've lost a sibling or a dad or whatever, you've lost your dad, I've lost my husband, I can't know your grief completely, and, you know, you can't right. know mine. That idea that we all have our own own experience with this, and we haven't got this. Yeah, I think, I think family members each have their very own relationship to that person, and it's not the same loss, even though it is the same person, exactly what you're saying. 
Yeah, that express and um, They don't grieve at the same time, well. at the same pace, or at the same intensity together. Often we see families almost taking turns. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if everybody's falling apart at the same time, that's a challenge. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> interesting because you see when the, the pa- when, when the parents are starting to feel better. I remember I've worked with some families where the parents were feeling better. The teens started acting out, yeah, and the yeah, parents couldn't figure funny. out why it was happening. One of the things you know, that I noticed, you know, uh, when my son died is that my husband and I would, he would have an up day and I would have a down day mm-hmm. or he would have a down day and I'd have an up day. And, uh, you know, so sometimes the parents aren't uh, cooperating with each other and having an acting out teenager just brings them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does bring them together. And I think, um, you know, we... We all can't, we all have to be, you know, be in those different roles. And and exactly what you're saying is part of the process of adjusting to loss. Because as you help somebody else, you yourself get to see what it's like to be in that person's shoes. You hear it from another perspective. You take on the, the challenge of providing support. And being in that role as the as the person who's giving support is also a helpful way to adjust to your loss. You feel more empowered. You feel better um, that you can actually make a difference. And we see that in our kids um, from small children to adults as people come into the group because we integrate new families every month into the groups. And as new people come in, the people who've been there for a while will be supportive of those of those kids mm-hmm. who are coming in or the adults who are coming in and really kind of take them under their wing and show them, you know, give them some support, some, sometimes advice, sometimes just understanding and listening. Uh, and what happens is you gain perspective because you see people coming in and you notice, hey, you know what, I remember when I looked and sounded like that a few months before. So I must be making changes and I must be be feeling, you know, that my grief is somehow changing over time. Because otherwise, when you're all by yourself and grieving, whether you're a kid or you're an adult, it's it's very scary. And you really don't always know if you're if you're if you're changing or you're gonna be in this dark place forever. But well, when you see that other people and you recognize the changes you've made and then you look at other people who've been there for longer than you and have made more adjustments over time, you say, Wow, they've had some horrific losses, but I might be able to make those kind of changes in my life too. And you have hope. Absolutely, Mindy. And I love the hope that you're giving so many kids out there. I mean, over fifteen hundred children and, and more because their parents, their family members, etc. How do people find you? How do they find the Children's Bereavement Center? That's been our, you know, in the beginning, it was a lot of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. We And we, of course, we reach out to professionals all over the community. Now we have a, um, a much larger effort in terms of really um, telling the community about who we are through social media, through articles. I've, I recently wrote an article in the local newspaper, that kind of thing. That ha- That's helpful. But also we give seminars to healthcare professionals and education professionals in the community. And we've touched every year. We, last year we touched over 8,000 professionals in the community and people in the community who didn't know about us before or maybe you know are hearing about us again uh, with another more information about grief and loss. So it's a constant effort to really get the word out mm-hmm. so that the school system knows about it. When you think about it, a grief group, 
um, that deals with families of all ages, and we have young adults in colleges and, and in their 20s and 30s. We see those kids, too, and some older adults. We are really reaching out to everybody. So we're Absolutely. adjunct to the whole world, whether it's the municipalities in the community, the funeral homes, the health care agencies, the education agencies. There's almost no... Even even large corporations are like little cities, so we often deal with the HR departments there. There's almost no one that we're not related to in terms of letting them know who we are and what we do. Well, I love everything you're doing, and thank you so much for being on our show today and uh, for all the lives that you are touching through the work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. It's been, it's been um, really a joy in this work because we get to watch people um, heal, rebuild their lives, and really find new hope and thrive after loss. You, you know, you don't have to be somebody who just makes it through. You can actually thrive. Right. Well, thank you, Mindy. It's been uh, great having you on today and for all the wonderful work you're doing. Well, Heidi, uh, great show today and uh, very interesting ideas in children and grief. And uh, I think if I lived in the Miami area, I'd certainly want to get involved with the children. Oh, please come visit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to our show today. And uh, please remind people that we're at opentohope.com with articles, radio shows, television shows, YouTubes that we have there to help people with their uh, grief and loss and to give a voice to grief and recovery. And Heidi and I always want to remind you, if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.